Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm going to do for you. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life is going to present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest has over 40 years of leadership in the service of our communities. He is the former mayor of New Orleans. He was 36 36 years old when he was first elected mayor. He is currently the CEO of the National Urban League, the nation's largest historic civil rights and urban advocacy organization. He has authored a very, very new, very, very good book. It's new, brand new. The Gumbo Coalition, 10 Leadership Lessons That Help You Inspire, Unite, and Achieve. Now available wherever books are sold. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the leader of the Gumbo Coalition, my man, Mark Morial. <laughs> hey, brother. Thank you for having me today and uh, good day to your entire listening audience. Thank you so much. Well, you know, it's a, it's a journey. Uh, we've had uh, we met over the years uh, when uh, I was managing Steve Harvey and producing this morning show. Yeah. And I, I've seen you come in and uh, as a representative of the uh, of the Urban League. Just tell us exactly what is the Urban League? National Urban League. National Urban League is a historic civil rights and urban advocacy organization founded in 1910 to help black people who were moving to the north from the south to get away uh, from segregation, the Ku Klux Klan, and lynching. And they moved to America's urban communities, Detroit, Chicago, New York, Boston, looking for work. But what they found is they found discrimination, they found prejudice, they found difficult conditions. And we rose to assist them in both making the transition and in having a voice. And those were our earliest days. In the 1960s, the late, great Whitney Young became our leader, mm-hmm. and we became a full partner uh, in the 1960s civil rights revolution. Since then, we've been on the front lines working for civil rights and economic opportunity through a dynamic network of 90 affiliates that serve uh, 300 communities in 36 states in the District of Columbia. We're a premier job training organization and job placement organization. We do home buyer preparation. We serve youth and free after school and academic preparation services. And we serve some 15,000 entrepreneurs each year through our small business centers. We're a dynamic vehicle to help people find economic independence, and we're a voice on the national stage for civil rights and economic opportunity. Very powerful, very well articulated. I'm not trying to stump you here with this question. What is the difference between the NAACP (laughs) and the National Urban League? We're like brothers or cousins. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. the NAACP was founded a year earlier. Mm -hmm. They're primarily a volunteer organization Mm -hmm. that does civil rights activism. Uh, They've got a large network. They're in rural, suburban, and urban communities. Uh, We are, in addition to being a civil rights organization, we're also uh, do direct services. And most of our work is carried out by uh, paid professional staffers. We've got 2,000 employees across the nation and uh, 90 physical locations in those communities. So we work 
closely together on a wide range of issues, uh, but distinctly we have the same mission, but we carry out our work sometimes in complementary, sometimes in different ways. Right. I, I, I always view, this has always been my view that, you know, the National Urban League was more business. They always, I, I always felt you guys had the, had, they had more of an active role in the shaping the economics of, of African Americans or blacks. Was I, was I, was I, as I'm wrong or incorrect when you, I said you're that? You're accurate. Yeah. We have a distinct focus on economic opportunity, on helping people find jobs and helping small black businesses and medium sized black business, businesses grow and develop, helping people become homeowners. There's no question that our focus on economic empowerment is what I call it, mm-hmm. which is opportunity, it's justice, it's independence, uh, is really, really what makes us unique, mm-hmm. what makes us what I call sui generis, right. which right. is a Latin word and it means one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Now, let's uh, let's go to the book now because of the fact that I just wanted to set the stage, let everybody know what you're doing currently, how you've been doing that job since, what, 2003, correct? 2003, after eight great years as mayor, my beloved hometown, New Orleans, Mm -hmm. I served two terms because two terms was the limit. Right. Uh, And then I found uh, an opportunity uh, after practicing law for a year in Mm -hmm. between City Hall and this job to to, to lead this incredible uh, Urban League movement. I'm standing on the shoulders of some great people like Whitney Young and Vernon Jordan, just to name a few. Vernon Jordan, powerful name right there. in 2018, uh, a good friend of mine, I'm going to call a good friend of mine, Lavelle, uh, saw you in New Orleans and um, talked about a book idea. Now, you you know, you're a type of, I look at your life, that, that book almost feels like a TV show, okay, when I read it. And so, so that means that a lot of people have come your way and tapped you on the shoulders. You should write a book. You should write a book. What, what did she say to you, Lavelle, say to you in 2018 that sent you in the direction you know it's, it's time i tell you what it's she right. did you know she she sat down and she said you know you should write a book but you should write a leadership book right mm-hmm. i said interesting she says not a memoir or an autobiography Thank but you. a book about leadership because she says that's what people want to hear they want a book that they can use they want a book that they can learn from and you know i was impressed i mean here was a sister uh, connected with a major publisher, Harper Collins. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it was really, really exciting. And, you know, she pushed me. Mm-hmm. She pushed me. And That's she what she does me. now. <laughs> and I said, I said yes. And I kind of said, well, you know, walk me through the steps because right. I do have an idea because my mom wrote a book, but walk me through the steps. And so, you know, we sat down. She said, put some ideas on paper, write up an outline. Let me take a look at it. So one thing led to another, and we spent uh, – Lots of time together working on this book, and her guidance and insight was just so helpful to me, just so helpful. I couldn't have done it without her, and really her challenge, you know, and I've wanted to do a book for a long time. I self-published a book of speeches in the 1990s. About 15 years ago, I started working on a book. I had an agent. I got too busy. I lost sight and lost, I guess I just lost sight and lost interest. And so Lavelle, you know, she, she, she challenged me and I'm just excited that something that was a little intimidating at first has come together. I think it's a great book. And it's a beautiful I think book. It it's a beautiful hopefully book. will inspire people. I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, you hear the word a lot, common sense, using common. This book is a smart common sense. And when I say that is that I'm, I'm a successful guy. I can say that my resume tells me I can say that publicly and uh, and I have plans to be successful in the future. This book, when I started reading it, OK, it's a little biopic in the beginning. 
Okay, because it sets everything up. And then, but at the end of each chapter, you do a recap about what you just read, just to outline and detail exactly the bullet points that you can take. In fact, when you buy this book, you can you could almost rip out every recap and just staple those together and put them on your refrigerator and put them on your mirror, and that can be your vision board at your house. That's how. Let me say this: you know, when it comes to, I say the most important education I ever had mm-hmm. was not. The undergraduate degree I have from the University of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. not the law degree I have from Georgetown, mm-hmm. not the twelve to fifteen honorary degrees that right. uh, I'm, I'm so privileged have have been awarded. It's the PhD in common sense I got from my mama. Yes, yes. my mama, like so many mamas, was just basically a person of common sense. She knew how to read people. She knew how to read people in terms of who she could trust, Mm -hmm. who she couldn't trust, who to be wary of. She understood, and and she sort of, you know, willed that into me. Right. You know, I learned by watching her. I had an incredible dad, but my mom, in terms of really influencing, you know, what I think and who I am, it was just such a powerful, powerful, powerful influence. And it was all about common sense. Absolutely. And keeping your feet on the ground and never getting a big head and not thinking you you all that as as we say. Right. And uh you know, I love my mother for for, for teaching me that. And that's what uh, I love about this book. She I, tried she she did she taught it to me, but it's almost like I didn't know I was being taught it. It just kind of is from the powers of observation and the lesson she taught you. But you but you giving those lessons back to us in writing in an organized manner, which is a blessing in itself. I'm talking to Mark Morial. He's currently the CEO of the National Urban League. He has a book called The Gumbo Coalition, 10 Leadership Lessons That Help You Inspire, Unite and Achieve. Now I'm from Houston, Texas. So when you start saying the word gumbo, I know exactly what you're talking about from a from a culinary perspective. I know exactly the special thing about Mm -hmm. special thing about gumbo is no two gumbos are just alike. There you go. And and when you always when you when you think you finish preparing gumbo, you can also you can always add a few extra ingredients and make it just that much better. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the essence of gumbo is that it is a collection and an amalgamation of various ingredients. And America mm-hmm. and the communities that we live in are that today. Right, made up of all types of people, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, all sorts of dispositions and orientations. That's the beauty. See, the Gumbo Coalition reflects that very essence, the essence of, of, of diversity, of inclusion, of a multifaceted, uh, if you will, nation. We well, you know, like you said, when we are taking this from the book, the Gumbo Coalition, it was built to include not only African-Americans, but also whites, Latinos, Asians, straights, gays, young, old, and all religious groups of my marvelously diverse hometown, New Orleans. That's where it started. You've carried that same mantra, that same lesson, or that same common sense, put it in this book, but also you use it to every if, use it in your everyday practices. And that's how you carry it through the various chapters in the book, correct? New Orleans is, was a city that in leading the city, you couldn't win an election without a coalition. Right. If you couldn't put a coalition together, you couldn't win an election. But you had to have a base. You had to have a powerful base. I had a very strong base of African Americans, but my base was also made up of you know, public housing residents, uh, young people, small business owners, uh, you know, activists, 
made up my political base, and it's what I started from, but the base was not enough to win an election. The base was not enough uh, to carry me to victory. So we had to build off the base and build this broad and wide coalition in, in America today to lead effectively at any level, you have to build coalitions. You have to operate off of a base, but build a coalition that allows you to lead with effectiveness. When I read a book like this, that the Gumbo Coalition, 10 Leadership Lessons That Help You Inspire, Unite, and Achieve, is about putting the right people around you, consistently understanding that you cannot do it alone. Each chapter screams that. Each chapter screams to you that you better have a plan. That just don't jump out there on faith. Jump out there on faith with a plan in both hands. And also, when you land, make sure you're landing with people who believe in you and can assist you in your plan for success. That screams in your book, Mark. It really does. Well, you know, I tell you, I, my hope is that the book is going to inspire the next generation of leaders. And I, I, I talk about setbacks mm -hmm. and talk about challenges and talk about uh, the unexpected. And I also talk about where the expectations of me were not that high. Like when I had to argue before the state Supreme Court in Louisiana as a 26-year-old and the name partner in the law firm that I was in told me going into the Supreme Court that I was going to lose the case. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking I was so angry with him for telling me that, but I didn't say a word. I got up, gave an argument, and then as we were walking out of court, he asked me, he stopped me, he said, where did you learn how to argue like that? I, I, I never saw a young lawyer argue that way before, before this court. And anyway, I said, well, coach, <laughs> I've been on your team for a year. You need to put me in the ball game because your lieutenants had me sitting on the bench. Mm. And... Uh, a month and a half later, I won the case and I decided to leave the law firm and do my own thing. Yeah. And so, you know, there's setbacks and people trying to diminish you, even, you know, unintentionally. And it was uh, intentionally or unintentionally. And so, you know, the book is not all, you know, not all roses. It's also about setbacks. It's also about challenges. It's also about low expectations. It's also about overcoming great challenges. And, and the, it's also, it's about networking. It's about innovation. You know, it's about compassion. Uh, great lessons. It's about teamwork. Right. Great lessons well, you know, that I learned. And I learned them from others. Absolutely. And I learned them from observing. And I learned them from getting kicked, getting pushed, getting knocked down, and having to get back up. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, let me just compare something. Um, I currently manage Stephen A. Smith, one of the highest profile talents in sports. Oh, media man, I love Stephen A. Smith. That's my boy. I manage him now. And But when I met you, I was managing Steve Harvey. And we originally started, I'm just doing a comparison to you. And that's why I feel is you started in New Orleans, but what you're doing at the National Urban League is was your destiny. It's where we needed your voice. Because, Steve, we was great in L.A., man. We was L.A. just tearing it up, man, and number one morning show in L.A. from 2000 to 2005. But I would look at him, I always felt that he had more to offer in a national platform. Oh, yeah. So we left oh, yeah. L.A., huge contract, and took a lower deal to be uh, uh, syndicated nationally because we figured we'll step back but go up. And we did. And his voice as a, in a national level, I, I feel was responsible for President Obama uh, being elected twice. I feel we're responsible oh, yeah. for uh, a lot of the movements that are positive in music for black Americans. Uh, 
But more importantly, so when I hear your journey, I'm not saying y'all the same people, but you are, you are an advocate, a game changer in New Orleans. If you were to just stay in, so it was a blessing to me in this country that you were only given two terms, okay? Because we needed you to come out and, 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 and talk about the five-point empowerment agenda. That's right. Which is about education no, I, and youth you know empowerment. What, I, I come on can't. now. You know, when I when I started at the National Urban League, I had no idea yes. where the journey would take me. But, you know, I, I was blessed, really blessed and privileged to have a chance yes. to serve as mayor, serve as a Louisiana mm-hmm. state senator mm-hmm. at a young age. I yes. mean, I got elected at 36. I raised my hand. I just turned 36 years old and accepted the challenge to be mayor. Well, most of my colleagues who were mayors of major American cities, they were 15 to 20 years older than me. I mean, I would sit in the room with all the other mayors, and I was a young kid on the block. Well, six years later, they elected me to be their president, the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. I was the youngest mayor to ever serve as president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors uh, when I took that post in uh, 2000. And so, you know, the, the opportunity to serve. The reason why I, I make that point is because I say to young people, you're never too young to take on a challenge, never too young to serve, never too young to excel. And don't let anybody diminish you. But you've got to know you're ready. Yes. You've got to have the confidence in your ability. And you've got to be mature enough to make the difficult and challenging decisions. And, you know, I feel so, so uh, special that I want to give back the lessons I've learned. Well, I want to give back. You do that. Uh, the do insights that, that I've that I've I've learned, and the, and that's the motivation, uh, indeed, for the book. And uh, the chance to serve at the national level is something special because I've literally visited almost every state in the union. I've been to every city. I've been on the uptown side, on the downtown side. I've been in the fancy homes. I've been in the neighborhoods. And that opportunity to meet people and see and witness and experience their hopes, their fears, their cheers, and their aspirations is just unlike anything else. Uh, and I always feel humbled and appreciative of that. It's, it's two things I want to make sure we talk about uh, before we leave. Uh, the State of Black America report, which is like phenomenal. This is under your vision. This is something under your vision that was resurrected. And then the, then the uh, five-point empowerment agenda. That was under your agenda as well as the National Urban League, correct? Yeah, so we started out in 2003. We needed mm-hmm. to have a, a framework and a plan to go forward. So we picked five issues, mm-hmm. education, economics, mm-hmm. health, mm-hmm. social justice, and civic engagement. Mm-hmm. And we transformed that into uh, five empowerment goals, education, economics, housing, health, and, and justice. Uh, and we transformed the work. So all of the work of the National Urban League is aligned around those five issues, around those five goals, right. around those five things. And we're clear, we can't be all things to all people, deal with every single issue that might be of concern to black America or to urban communities. We need it to create a coherent framework and focus. And that's indeed what we did. The State of Black America was started by Vernon Jordan in 1976. And when I took over in 2003, it needed to be revived. It needed to be strengthened. So we added a statistical component, a permanent statistical component, where we measure the same numbers every single year in an index called the Equality Index. We compare blacks and whites 
unemployment, uh, health outcomes, lifespans, uh, how home ownership rates and across the board, so that every year we can report on the numbers, on the facts, insofar as America's dis- racial disparities are concerned. And we report on that, and we continue to report on that every year, and it continues to show disparities, not only in health, but the greatest disparities are in economics. Not only in health and economics, but in education, mm-hmm. in how the criminal justice system treats us, in civic engagement. This is the work, you know, of the Urban League movement to, to, today. This is the work. It's framed around the state of black America. And we compare blacks and whites. We compare blacks, whites, and Latinos. Uh, because we need to understand where we are as a nation if economic parity is our objective. And that was. And that's that's what I'm just talking about when I'm, when I'm speaking to you is that when I'm reading the book, and, and, I'm, and I'm breaking mm-hmm. down different chapters. The one thing that I kept hearing ringing out to me was this, the plan, the plan, how you having a plan and then how you deliver the plan. That's what this that's what this book really talks about. You know, you have a lot of brilliant ideas, basically what you're saying. To build a house. You have to have a plan yes. to cook a good meal. You have to have a recipe. Yes. yes. To be a great musician, you've got to have a musical score, even if you improvise in between. Uh, to uh, to lead, you need a plan. Yes. To fight a war, you need a plan. Yes. To bring about peace, you need a plan. So planning is a really important element of, of leadership and then knowing when to modify the plan. Right. There are times that come when you might have to throw the plan right out the window. Right out the window and respond. So right now, we have to respond to this pandemic. So we might put a plan aside, mm-hmm. but what we quickly do is develop a new plan. Mm-hmm. And it might be, let's develop a short-term plan. Let's focus on what we need to do uh, in order to confront the challenges of now. So planning is critical, and learning how to plan, and then communicating your plan. Knowing how to communicate your plan, knowing how to talk to your constituents, to talk to your followers about your plan. Not just have it living in a file, not right. just have it living on your computer, not just have it living in your head. You know, when I when I when I was reading the book, you know, I'm talking to Mark Morial. He's the uh, current CEO of the National Urban League. He has a fantastic new book called The Gumbo Coalition: Ten Leadership Lessons That Help You Inspire. That will that will help you inspire, unite, and achieve your goals, your dreams, your organization, and, and rising to the top. When when I when I was reading this and we were talking about the plan and then I got to the to the five, you know the five uh, points of the agenda and then I got to the state uh, report and then I started and I read the report and it was something that really stunned me that was talking about Native Americans were denied an opportunity to vote in 1882 and then were not guaranteed the last state to guarantee you was, them was New Mexico in 1962 and I always tell people my degree is in math mathematics numbers don't lie and that's why i like the way you do business i like the way you talk with you in your book you talk about numbers you bring up statistics you 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 lay out a plan that this is not a theory this is how you should do business you show examples of how you did business how you had to maneuver the people you had to maneuver with the people you had to work with people who didn't like you how you had to bring them on your side of the table and i always tell people i said 90 percent of the people that i make money with i don't really care what they eat for breakfast I really don't. It's how I do business with them in public. And that's what your book is about. 
my book also talks about networking. And there in networking, go. we talk about different kinds of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you have intimate friends, and then you have uh, those who you are acquainted with, and then you just have those that you professionally know. So the idea is you can have know a lot of people. Yes, sir. But just because someone's your friend doesn't mean they're your intimate friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then many times acquaintances have great value. They validate. Uh, they, they're, they're what cement your reputation or can undermine your reputation if you develop a bad reputation. So, you know, in my book, it's all about practical tips it's all about experiences that I've had, and it's all about the people who've helped me become who I've become. But uh, more importantly, they're relatable experiences. That's what I appreciated most about your book. Uh, I want to let you know that um, I have a social media, almost a million followers. I have a fan club. Uh, newsletter oh, that goes out every Friday at 9 a.m. to 90,000 fan club members. I want to put a banner of your book You're in there. You're the man. I, I'm just letting you know. You're the man. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you. And uh, to come on my show and allow me to uh, let you know the greatness that you've accomplished in your life, which you know. But sometimes, like everybody, you need to be reminded that you are a gift to America. You are changing not only you've changed my life, but my daughter's 22 and you're laying a path for her to have a great life. So thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, Mark Mario. Hey, I appreciate you so much. God bless you and be safe, be healthy and keep the faith always. And get those banners to me so I can promote your book. Okay, you got it. My next guest is a Chinese-American actor, host, chef, singer-songwriter who hosts a very popular YouTube cooking show called Feast of Fiction with his co-host, Ashley Adams. They create their real-life interpretation of fictional dishes to pay homage in a genuine, geeky, and lively way. That's pure genius right there. I'll just tell you right now, the, the fact that they came up with that and are doing it is pure genius. He is on the show to talk about their new cookbook, their new cookbook, The Feast of Fiction Kitchen, their Feast of Fiction popular YouTube channel and his role in Disney's new live action movie that he's co-starring in called Mulan. Maybe you've heard of that. Mulan. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Jimmy Wong. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Glad to have have you have me on. And thank you for the very kind words as well. Kind words. Come on now, Jimmy. What you, Jimmy, what you're not going to do is get, come on the show laid back. I've seen all this energy. I've seen I've seen silliness. <laughs> I've seen you take a pie in the face. I know you're a gamer. Now you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate the nice complimentary <laughs> statements that you say about me. So what, what, what Jimmy am I going to get? I'm going to get Jimmy that, that's exciting, that makes me laugh. And I go, he crazy. He's a nut. He's a fool that I see on YouTube channel. Who is the real Jimmy? Maybe I should ask you that question. The real Jimmy is probably someone that has too much on his plate at any <laughs> one given time. So. Now, when you say too much on your plate, what does that mean? Well, I mean, last week was quite an interesting one, given the current world circumstances. Yes, um, actually, this whole, you know, last two months has been interesting. Mulan was originally slated to come out on March 27th, mm-hmm. which obviously was pushed because yes, we want to keep everyone safe. Yes, sir. The cookbook, however, is a physical print thing and a digital thing. And so that actually didn't need to change its release date, which was last week uh, on April 28th. Mm-hmm. So. You know, there's been a lot of releases and stuff around all that. You still have to do all the promotion. You're not going out and doing a book tour, but you right. still need to be very much up to date on interviews and everything else. And just make sure you get the word out there because selling a book is, you know, it's no one easy, simple task, unfortunately. 
Well, you have a you have a, the great thing about it is that uh, I've been fortunate. I managed Steve Harvey, and we had three number one uh, bestsellers. Our first book sold over three million copies. Acting like a lady, think like a man, and was translated into thirty languages. So I know what you mean. It's a lot of work. A lot of people would love to think that you just write a book and people buy it. You have to promote it. You have to <laughs> no. you have to be in their face. And and unfortunately, in this situation, you can't do any book signings, which really does enhance book sales and also allows you to meet your fans. And so, like I said, the book is available now. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're doing a lot of Zoom interviews for the book, correct? Yeah, Zoom interviews, Skype, Google Hangout, you name it. Basically, if you can video in somewhere, then people <laughs> love to have you. Or, or, you know, phone interviews and stuff like this. So, mm-hmm. whatever works. Right. Before we get to the, the to the to the YouTube channel and the book, let's go back to the movie Mulan. OK, you know, mm-hmm. Disney is big into live action. You know, this last year, Lion King starring Beyonce came out. It made over a billion dollars at the box office. Aladdin with Will Smith. It made over a billion. And then we had in 2017, The Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson. Now mm-hmm. we have Mulan coming out. Now, I'm a big fan of the of the uh, 1998 Mulan, which starred uh, Eddie Murphy. Now, that character, the, the dragon sidekick that Eddie Murphy played in that movie would not be in this live action version, correct? Yes, correct. That is not uh, Eddie Mushu, that the, the beloved dragon sidekick from the original Milan is not in this new movie. OK, and, but you play the beloved uh, Ling, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are some things that are fault that um, have translated over from the original. Mm-hmm. It's an adaptation. It's not a straight one for one recreation. Uh, it's also different in that this version is not a musical. Mm-hmm. So this is actually the first Disney live action remake that takes, I think, more significant steps away from just doing a full on sort of like carbon copy paste of the original. This has been sort of a reimagining, a re restructuring a little bit of reskinning of what the original movie was to something that's a bit more culturally authentic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. obviously a lot more action filled if you saw the trailers. Mm-hmm. So, with, with that being said, when I when I go through your bio, I see actor, I see host, I see chef, I see singer songwriter, I see gamer. What 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 any any particular those lanes that you favor when I when I when I shout them out like that? I think hosting and gaming are the two that uh, I'm the most joined to or the most like comfortable with. Gaming is something that I've just been doing since a very, very young age. And it's also something I often find is tangential to the hosting gigs I get or the things that I, opportunities I see, you know, and hosting is something that comes really naturally to me. I've, I'm someone that's podcasted for a decent amount of time. So being able to just present information in a clear, concise way to people is something that I like doing and it comes naturally to me. Um, I love acting too, don't get me wrong. Why I moved to LA originally was to be an actor, but it's not an easy world out there for Come on any minority groups in general. I'm a, I'm a minority, I know, it's, it's, I know, it's Jimmy. Easy for actors, so. mm-hmm. As you get older, the opportunities get even less and, and for a minority. True. And so, and so, but so you see the value of having multiple streams of income or multiple streams of opportunity. And you would preach that to people who are trying to pursue any any lane of entertainment that you're in especially acting correct yeah i mean it's i'm in a very unique position i don't think most people can just pick up their lives and say i'm going to do five different things at once right now but entertainment is a very fluid industry and for me you know the reason i started pursuing making a, a cooking show and hosting and doing all sorts of other things that were sort of running parallel to the acting industry was because of the lack of opportunity but at the same time you know new booming industry at the same time when I came to LA was the YouTube content creation one. So 
for me, it, it made perfect sense to, at the very least, see what that world had to offer and see if I had a place in it or if it was something I was comfortable with and then sort of reevaluate and constantly be shifting and nimble on your feet when it comes to developing out what your brand is. And your brand, your brand is very diverse. Let's, let's talk about Mulan a little bit because of, it's a big Disney mm-hmm. movie. comes with a lot of, it's going to open strong domestically. It's going to be worldwide. And we know what we're dealing with from a pandemic standpoint. It may even damage the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the China market, which is, a, which is an incredibly mm-hmm. uh, uh, vast amount of money comes out of that particular uh, movie industry over there. So when you get an mm-hmm. opportunity, you, know, you, you were cast for this. How do you how do you how do you lay that down? Do you, you do you see it as just a stepping stone, one of the many things that come into your life, or you or you weigh the importance of what it can do for your brand right now? Because you are a brand, right, Jimmy? I, I guess yeah. I guess you could describe my essence as a brand. It's the sort of thing that you are constantly keeping in mind when you go out to make videos or to even approach other brands to see if they would like to sponsor your content. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to think of yourself as more than just like a person. You're a personality, an influencer. There are a lot of different ways to skin it. Um, when it comes to a movie like Mulan, you, I think the first impression that I had when I got the role was right. like, this is it. This is my big break. <laughs> it's sort of the language that is commonly used for actors in Hollywood and in movies and writing and all that. Um, and you know, that was almost three years ago at this point that I first found I was going to be in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, and then the next year I filmed it and then another year and stuff of post-production. So over time you get to sort of resample that same plate, that same dish that got you so excited in the first place and get a little more context and get a little more understanding about what it means for you and what your career is and all that stuff. And I think the the most important fact that was currently that I've been, I've realized, especially after this delay is that this movie is obviously a big milestone. It's a stepping stone. It's, it's a lot of different things, but what it isn't going to do is be the one thing that breaks it all open because that's not solely on the movie to do. You know, you as a person, you know, my character's name is Link. My character's name is not Mulan. I'm not the main character of the movie. I'm a side character, but I'm in a lot of the movie. So I need to make sure that I manage my expectations and also understand where I'm coming from when I go to promote the movie and talk about it and also understand that like, Hey, this isn't going to instantly make you famous. Nothing really does unless it's like a sex tape or something. But what this will do is provide opportunities. And if you're able to, you know, manifest what you want from those opportunities or take advantage of those situations that arise, then you're going to find yourself in a much more comfortable position because you are at least in more control of what's happening instead of just sort of saying, Hey, I hope this makes it all work. And then letting the sort of the river flow from there. Well, it's really important because it is a, you know, it's a, for instance, you know, being that African American, when certain movies come out that specifically impact who I am as a person, who I am as a, mm-hmm. a, a my race, it, it puts an extra layer of importance on there. Is this, is this movie important to you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, like I, I was interviewed by another African American on the red carpet and he was like, how excited are you? And I was like, I mean, how excited were you when black Panther came out? And he said, Very excited. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like we go can on, share some of those emotions. Oh, right Jimmy, 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 that, that was, that, that was our movie. Now that that's our movie. Now, you know, black Panther. Yeah, was, I mean, yeah. Woo! Right. Like, I mean, here's the thing. When you are a marginalized group or a minority and you don't have as much representation as the majority, then you kind of just have to, even let's say, Black Panther was, I love Black Panther, by the way. I thought it was a great movie. But let's just say in an alternate reality, Black Panther was a bad movie. Yes, yes. It was Mm -hmm. just bad. Mm -hmm. The writing was bad. Everything was bad. 
it would still, in a lot of ways, have to become people's de facto movie because just there hasn't been anything else that exists like it. So that's like the position that I think marginalized groups and minority groups are put in that people don't realize is that sometimes you can't ask for, you know, the world when you get something like this. Sometimes you just have to clasp your hands and go, man, I really hope this is good because we really don't have that much else out there representing us. I can, however, say with confidence that both Black Panther and Mulan are great movies. So it's amazing to be able to say, oh, great. That's awesome. This is going to be a good movie. Uh, it's going to represent a lot of people in a lot of cultures, but more importantly, open the doors for more filmmakers and young ones, especially to come out there and say, hey, I want to make a movie about my Asian culture or my blank culture and hopefully be empowered by movies like this existing to say that they can. I just want to talk about, touch on this a little bit before we get into the YouTube channel, because I think it was important because as minorities, you know, a lot of people don't understand the things that we have to deal with. And I wanted to go back to that situation mm -hmm. that happened to you in college and how you felt about it and uh, give us some detail and then how you reacted to it, which led to a very popular uh, music video that you created. Talk to us about that, because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand as a minority, they, they might think it's funny and cute, but it really plays back in a different manner when it affects us. Talk to us, Jimmy. Yeah, well, that's a great that's a great way of uh, describing how I felt at the time, too. Uh, back in 2011, right after college, uh, I was in Los Angeles trying to pursue it as an actor. And after a year of sort of, you know, just diddling around, not really doing much, I decided, you know, let's make some music videos, let's make music. And right around that time, there was a sorority student from UCLA that decided that she was going to launch on her own content creation uh, kick. And it would start by vlogging from her computer about people and things that she did not like. And the very first video she ever made, and the only video she ever made for that matter, was uh, about Asians in the library and specifically how loud they were being and how disruptive that she felt they were being when she was trying to study for her own work. And she created a racist caricature impression of them as well in the video. And it unfortunately for her backfired quite magnificently. The video itself went viral. News outlets everywhere picked it up immediately going, who is this person and why are they being such a dumbo? Essentially, not, no one really called her a dumbo and, you know, to her face. Right. <laughs> um, and death threats were flying in. And this person was receiving a lot of flack for this video she posted because it was very clearly just racist in nature, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it, in, in like a very benign way, this person in retrospect just was trying to make a comedy vlog and clearly didn't realize that her brand of humor was not only offensive, but it was a caricature of one that was based heavily in racist stereotypes. Right. So as a result, I made a music video that sort of took the entire encounter and reframed it and tried to give her an out, if that makes sense. Just say like, hey, what you were saying, you know, everyone's misunderstanding you. I just get it. You're trying to say that you love us, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of put it into a song and took it in a satirical slash farcical way where I basically mocked her, but encouraged her and glorified her at the same time. <laughs> As a result, that response to a very vitriolic situation went viral. and Five million uh, you know, views. It, it, don't, 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 see, people just throw that word out there, viral. Five million <laughs> views is a, is a phenomenon. Okay, that's a, that's a slap in the face that you that you should have done that. And people reacted to it. And, and well, do you see that was, that was key to you, your creative sense that, okay, man, what I do, people react to it. It's, Cause you know, we all need that little stepping stone of going, man, I, I have talent. Uh, I just want somebody to understand it. And you did this just like as a, as an improv moment, I guess of, of creativity. And it yeah. went viral. What was the next yeah, step after I, I, that? After that, I, I sort of describe it to people as like a tidal wave that hit my career, but I wasn't strong enough or, you know, in this case, 
mature enough and had enough years in the industry to know how to ride the wave. I was just sort of carried along by it, which is just as fine, especially if you're starting out. Um, just because that wave of activity and attention and potential, you know, really exploded. And it was great to see it happen. And all because I think it was a common thread and something I still see today, which is people, especially marginalized groups and minorities, need a voice and they need a way to be able to communicate their needs and wants to the world in a way that's going to be heard and respected. And, you know, we still see this every single day. Uh, in modern America yes. with Black Lives Matter yes. and with the recent outbreak of, uh, you know, racist attacks against Asians. Like there are because still the so many issues mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. need, you know, we need strong voices to be able to speak out, to be able to stand behind. And I didn't realize it when I made the video, but what I did was addressing a sore spot in what, what has now sort of materialize itself in modern day America is like, Hey, this is still a very much a real sore spot that it still exists and that there's a lot of fear and xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And how do we combat that in a way that's not just, you know, taking an eye for an eye. First of all, congratulations for standing up for congratulations for doing it in a creative manner and congratulations for it impacting and, you know, not so much changing people, but making people aware. That's all, that's all you can do. You can't change a person, but if you can make them aware and make them think about what their actions, it, it can make a difference and slow down. Down, that level of ignorance that pe- minorities often have to deal with on a regular basis is a lot of people go, what's the big deal? It's always a big deal yeah. when, you, when you walk in a room totally. and you, you know, I always tell people I walk in a room, I'm a black man. I'm black. You know, it, it, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't think I'm white. You can't think I'm Jewish. You can't think I'm Italian. You can't think I'm some other disguise, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I deal with that and I, and I champion myself and I realize there's a responsibility that comes with that. And because of that, I don't allow it to, to, to become the driving force to why I'm successful. I'm successful because I've been blessed with a lot of talents and you've been blessed with a lot of talents too, Jimmy. And I transitioned that to the whole YouTube channel that you launched in 20, mm-hmm. 20, 20, 2011 with Ashley Adams. Tell us, yeah, because that's a phenomenal, that's a, that's that a big, that that's a video, big deal. So. It's the same year, but that's a big deal because it started as an idea, but now 1.3 million subscribers, that's a money-making conversation right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it started off as like a passion slash question slash, you know, need. Like my brother and I were sitting around the kitchen table going, what does the internet need that it doesn't have right now? And this is 2011 after I'd made the music video and tried music out on YouTube for a while. And it wasn't that, it didn't feel as sustainable or as fun as I wanted it to be. And so my mind started hopping to the next thing, which is like, what can I do now that's, that's interesting and fun to me? And the cooking show just had to be on the list. And so we launched Feast of Fiction then, and it's just sort of been like a steady progression of a passion project slash love uh, between myself and my co-host Ashley for the past eight years. And about two years ago, we were like, you know what? It's time. Let's make a cookbook. I think we have the skills necessary. We didn't want to do it too early because, right. you know, we were still rookies. And so we were like, I think we're mature enough. I think we understand this this market and what we want to do here and how we want the book to look specifically as creators. Um, and so we launched into it and made a book. And, you know, that, again, like you said, it's not just sitting down and writing something. That took two years of editing, photos, working with a publisher, and it finally released in 2020, two years after we started it. Now, let me ask you this about the YouTube channel, 1.3 million subscribers. Where along the way you went, wow, this is a business. This is, <laughs> you know, you know, so because like I said, you just sitting in the kitchen with your brother 
trying to think of an idea of what's the next step, what's missing. You come up with this brilliant idea. And I, and I, I don't laugh when I say that. This is a brilliant idea, my friend. Obviously, 1.3 million people think so, too. And were your talents at all tied to cooking or baking? Because I know you you give you're a gamer and you give all credits over there to Ashley. How did that relationship come about? And how did you start saying that this is truly a direction that's going to catch on? No, it was, uh, we were at Disneyland, of course, of the happiest of all places, uh, for a mutual friend's birthday, and we didn't know each other, and at that time, I was still formulating the idea in my head. I met Ashley, asked her what she did. She showed me a couple of pictures of these, like, little fun cakes that she made for her friends using fondant and, you know, the sort of stuff you see on Cake Boss, and I was like, wait, this is perfect. Do you want to come and help me out and make a recipe? And before I knew it, I just sort of de facto made her my co-host. <laughs> right. But I think that the moment that we realized, that I realized at least that this was a business, um, was the moment that a brand approached us and went, hey, do you want to do something together and we can pay for it? But if you guys are cool with it, then we're cool with it too. And it took a while, right? It was like a few years before brands started picking up. And when I first made the show, I was like, you know what? What movie wouldn't want this? This is great promotion. It's organic. The entire show is based off of other franchises. So no one's going to question if you support or sponsor a franchise. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen at first because I think the show was still picking up steam and maybe it was sort of a newer industry for that sort of stuff. But after a while, you know, after doing a couple of brand deals, I looked at the whole operation and went, you know what, this is something that we could scale up. This is something that we could just make more than just a hobby for fun. Because um, actually wanted to be a TV host when she came here originally. And so this was definitely in line with her dreams. Right. It was fun for us to do without having to worry so much about turning a profit or whatever for the first couple of years because it's just, again, a, a, a passion project. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the book, okay, because of the fact that um, it's, it's, it has five recipes that I liked. I liked, I, well, first of all, I love the book, okay? These are five recipes because I want to cook immediately after reading the book. <laughs> um, the shrimp cocktail, which is, I, I, for some reason, if you, if you go, it's, Ooh, it's a, yeah. you know, some, uh, go in a restaurant and I order a shrimp cocktail, it's something about it, it's such a simple dish. That is so tasted me that I love it. And that's from Beetlejuice. That's on page 53. The movie Beetlejuice. That's when the shrimp start dancing mm-hmm. around. <laughs> and then you uh, 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 entree to my heart. The Krabby Sliders from SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, my God. I, I got to make that. The Tiana Tiana's Gumbo from um, Princess in the Frog. Oh, yeah. And then uh, that gumbo is legit. Oh, hey, look here. I read the recipe. I'm from Houston, Texas, by way of Louisiana. So I would not be oh, telling nice. you. I would not be telling you I'm going to make gumbo if I didn't look at the recipe and go, oh, this is crap. <laughs> this is crap. No, no, no. <laughs> I looked at the recipe, Jimmy. Y'all, you guys are the real deal. You're the real deal. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, the thing, I, I'm, I, I love oatmeal cookies to death, my friend. That's my favorite cookies oatmeal so when i saw the giant oatmeal cream pie from honey i shrunk the kids you had me brother you had me but oh, then you baby. closed out you closed out with this one from my one of my all-time favorite shows with the worst ending in the history of tv game of thrones the lemon cake oh nice the lemon cakes so 
Oh, Perfect. Rashawn McDonald. And what I'm gonna do is, I, you know, what I I, I got like I got, I got 784,000 Facebook followers. 89 percent of my followers are female, and I always post food. I'm gonna post your book if you don't mind. Tell everybody to buy it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm make a couple of these recipes and, and and post them on my social media because Jimmy, I'm a fan. If Ashley ever has time to come on the show, please invite her on the show. I just want to bring you on the show and just you know, let's slow it down. Talk about your story. Talk about, and I haven't touched the entire story, but I just want to touch enough of it to let people know how special you are as a as an individual, man. Because you know you you you're you're breaking ground, my friend, and and you're doing it with, with in, a, in a high level of respect. You're doing it in a money making conversation, and you're a leader. And that's why I wanted to bring you on money making conversation. Congratulations on Mulan. Congratulations on the YouTube channel, Feast of Fiction Kitchen, the book. Uh, I'm going to push it as hard as I can because not that you need my help, but I'm just going to be a little, a little, a little bit of help for the bigger picture. Is that cool, Jimmy? <laughs> well, you know, you know how it goes. We will always take the help that we are given. So I appreciate it, man. And, you know, Ashley's from Austin as well. So she's right around the corner. Oh, absolutely. She's a Texas girl. Well, I got to get her on the show. Yeah. My friend. Uh, I wanna thank absolutely. You for, <laughs> I wanna, I'm glad. I know the first time we met, first time we talked, I want you to consider to be a friend of the Money Making Conversation. You have some other projects coming out uh, later on this year. And uh, if you want to come back on the show, please come on because I will not get enough of talking about you and I, I can also dig into some of that gaming area of your career that we didn't talk about on this but we want oh, to talk yeah, about the man. book want to talk about that book want to talk about the movie want to talk about your impact and standing up for who you are as a person and who you represent as a people keep winning jimmy wong thank you for coming on my show thanks brother my next guest is a Peabody and Golden Globe award-winning writer, director, and producer. He is on the show today to discuss his new Netflix original film, Uncourt, where he is the writer and director. We'll also be talking about HBO's Insecure, where he is the showrunner and executive producer. By the way, Insecure was renewed for a fifth season. The fourth season finale uh, of Insecure will air in the middle of June. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Prentice Penny. Pretty good, pretty good. So uh, I'm going to tell you something, Mr. Penny. I'm going to say Mr. Penny because I saw your movie twice in one day. So it's not often in my life that I can say I saw the same movie from beginning to the end. And we're talking about Uncorked that's on Netflix twice in one day. So um, that's a compliment, man, because of the fact that, um, you know, first of all, he has some people in there that I really love to death, Niecy, Niecy Nash. And Courtney Vance, uh, and so talk about. But before I get in and start, just complimenting all about the movie. Tell us about Uncork, the premise, and how how you developed it. Yeah, I mean, it originally started from a place of you know I wanted to make sure I wanted to write uh, and direct a movie, and I wanted to to you know obviously it's like I, I wanted to find something that felt kind of personal that I could sort of. Um, you know, find my voice out as a right. screenwriter. When you write in television, you know, you're often writing in other people's voices. And so I wanted to find mine. And I felt like I was a big, I love father-son dynamic stories. And I, but I also felt like with black fathers and son stories, usually the, the, the spine of why the father and the son have conflict is because the father was absent. And that just wasn't my experience and like a lot of friends of mine experiences. And so I wanted to see, and I feel like white people get to sort of have an experience in the father-son movies where they get to kind of be basic, like if you think about Good Will Hunting or Manchester by the Sea, you know, they, they, they you just get to be kind of regular. And I feel mm -hmm. like in being basic and regular is what you find your humanity. And so I wanted to see black men 
just be regular, not be, you know, not about our pain or our trauma. It's just a sort of like, this is what life is like kind of on an everyday basis uh, for this family. And so that's sort of what drew me into uh, like wanting to tell that kind of a story. Right. Now, here's the thing. Now, I'm watching the movie, enjoying it, laughing. It's kind of like almost like a dramedy to me. It's comedy with a nice little blend of yep. comedy stretched out through a dramatic movie with a lot of emotional valleys. It's a romantic story. It's a family story. It's a coming of age story. So it had a lot of a lot of descriptive moments in the movie that I enjoy. And but the detail, that's what really uh took me back the detail of what was a of, of what he was trying to accomplish the lead actor was trying to accomplish talk about that is that something personal or where did the detail come from yeah i mean in my real life the the, the, the sort of jumping off point for the family was real like my my grandfather started a furniture store in compton in the 50s Mm -hmm. uh, when my grandfather had a stroke and couldn't run it full-time my father would happen to be a college time my father dropped out of college, kind of no questions asked, and took over the business. And I was the next son in line to do that. And I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to be a writer and do other things. And so, again, I wanted to talk about, again, like that, that angle. And so I knew when I, wanted, when I was writing the story that I wanted one part of the family's business to be a family business, to be sort of more blue collar. Um, and so that's sort of how I got to barbecue and I knew I wanted the son to do something that was a little bit more elevated, more creative in the way that I was doing something. And I just felt writing would be kind of visually not really that interesting. Um, and I took a trip to Paris for a cousin's wedding, a mm -hmm. destination wedding. And I didn't even drink wine at the time. And, but I was like, if I'm ever going to like wine, it kind of has to happen here. You know, it's like, if you go to New Orleans and don't like gumbo in New Orleans, you just, maybe just don't like gumbo. Right. So I was like, Paris is the spot for wine. And so if I don't like it here. And so I took a class and the guy made it really easy to understand wine and what I was drinking. And uh, I said, Oh, like this should maybe be what the sun should want to do. This is kind of cool. And that's really how I stumbled into that um, arena. And, and I was watching documentaries and movies about songs and things like that. And it just became, and then obviously as you think about it, you're like food and wine are natural right. pairings and the way that the father obsesses about the wood is the same way that people obsess about the grapes. And there became obviously very, um, you know, things that became connectors in the movie um, once, but that's sort of how I, I found the world of wine. Well, you know, the, I'm talking to the writer, director, and producer of a, uh, the, I want to say hot new movie that's on Netflix. I know we all uh, <laughs> in, in these pandemic times. I'm gonna say hot because I watched it twice. I'm gonna let it, see. See, you, you just can't. You know, I I I I really love the movie because my wife she's a connoisseur of wines. Okay, so okay. when I when I watched the movie at my office, I went, man, the the detail. You know, because he wanted to be a wine sommelier, right? And um, yep, yep. and so that was his goal. His dad was, uh, yep. like you said, uh, his father was a barbecue owner. He dropped out of school to be to take over the business, even though he wanted to be a teacher. And then all of a sudden that he didn't want to do it just like you had in real life. You didn't want to do the furniture store. He wanted to be a he wanted to be a yep. connoisseur of wines. He wanted to be. A, and like I said, it's a, it's a very exclusive club to be able to accomplish that task. And so, so if I exactly. watch it, so I went, so I came home, I said, I said, baby, uh, I want you to watch this movie because the detail in this movie about this wine, because I don't drink wine. And so, I, and so she went, okay. so, so, I, so, you know, but, but I'm, I'm just amazed at the detail. And so I'm going, and we, we're not right, even talking right. about the, uh, the, how 
you were setting up the barbecue and chopping it up. Uh, that that whole world, because that's my world right there. When you talk about Memphis, you, I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm a Texas boy. Grew up. My, my nephew, he's one of the best yeah, barbecue you know. people. Yeah, he's one of the best barbecue people in Houston, Texas. He got a little side stand, recognized. He was on Kelly Clarkson for barbecuing. So I know about barbecue. And so when I'm watching the detail oh, wow, of the okay. barbecue, yeah. and then I'm watching the detail on the wine, I'm going like, who is this guy? You know, I said, wow, the detail. So let's talk about <laughs> your attention to detail, Mr. Penny. I'm sorry, I got to give you respect, Mr. Penny. You're Mr. Penny on this show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm going to call you Mr. McDonald. Okay. Like that, <laughs> I, I love um, you. I love yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, we just, we just, we, like, we'll just keep it like that. And, uh, but no, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, where I work, I've, you know, on my other sh show from Insecure, like I've worked with a lot of amazing directors. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, you learn a lot from, you know, you say, like, oh, like you, you know, you just learn a lot from people, you know, just by how they work. And so that was one thing that I felt like the movie had to be a super spot on about. Right. It was like, so, like you know, Memphis is one of the I equate to like the Mount Rushmore of cities with barbecue, right? So you got there, or certainly you have Texas barbecue, you have mm -hmm. you know North Carolina barbecue, on, you have Memphis barbecue, and you have kind of you know St. Louis, Kansas City barbecue. There you go. Those are kind of like the four. You're for real, you you talking know, for real of, now? Of barbecue, you know what I'm saying? Princess, you talking so for I knew real? That the barbecue had to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's real, right? And so, uh, so I knew because the obviously in the movie that the barbecue has to be so serious because. It's the dad is placed as a premium on like how important the family business is. So it's not just like you doing barbecue in LA. It's like you doing barbecue in a place where like that's it's everything for us, and it's it it, it takes care of our family. It, it's mm -hmm. more than just the barbecue, right? And so, um, so to me that that just had to be official. And so we enlisted a lot of Memphis barbecue uh, places that are uh, especially black family places, like a place called Cozy Corner, right? Um, you know, barbecue shop and places that, uh, and we hired. A lot of the background actors that actually have lines all worked in barbecue spots. And so, because I needed them to know what they were doing versus like having kind of extras coming in, not really knowing what they were doing. They had right. to look like they knew what they were That's doing. Right. That was That's important right. That's right. That all the background people know what they were doing. And so that was great. And then, conversely, in the wine world, like we had one of our um, actors who plays one of the black psalm teachers is is uh, an amazing black psalm named D. Lynn, who was also a part of the inspiration for the movie too. Mm -hmm. And and so obviously to have him read the script and and really be teaching me as I was writing the script about wine and things like that. And, and obviously on set we had another wine person named Ryan Radish who was like our on set person, like our day to day, to make sure everything worked and make sure everything looks a hundred percent official in terms of how they hold the glass, how they you know, smell, how they taste and how they, how they do everything, you know, with so again, that level of detail, because if you don't believe it, then you're just not, not going to be into the movie. And, and, and the funny part about it is that you used, uh, and I'm, this is a good word, a, a comedic word. You used ignorance to be funny. Like for instance, when he was saying he wanted to be a Somalia and they go, you want to you want to go to Somalia? You know, it's, it's just like, and he goes, I ain't said nothing about Africa. You know, it was like, it was like <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, it was, it, your your humor, your writing style, man, is is dead on. But again, you got to have the talent to be able to pull that off. And your casting, yeah, was but we dead had a great on. cast was dead on, man, dead on. I, 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 Thank I, you. I, I would know. I, I won't tell the movie, but the Nisi Nash relationship, uh, 
just coming out there just just Nisi's just brilliant and uh and then uh, awesome. Courtney Vance his role as uh yeah, as a dad man that uh he if any black man is over 40 you that's your dad that's that Courtney Vance is your dad yeah yeah he was your dad <laughs> and so I, I I was looking at my dad that's you know uh, uh the statement he was come out by racism about anything it was just irreverent but it was just about the whole process and then the son and i i, I want you to say his name because i messed it up the lead guy who who really carried this role throughout and really so it sold me on Mama the fact did. that it could actually happen for this young man and but it's a journey so i just we're talking about the movie on cork and i just wanted to compliment you on the ability to put a dynamic family story wrap it around a romantic story and then with a seed of trying to find himself and seek an opportunity along the way that he doubted himself, then he kind of believed in himself, then he doubted himself, in the end he made a decision that this is what I want to do. That's that's fantastic, yeah. man. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I mean Victoria Thomas, who um, casts you know everything from you know our show to to Queen and Slim to all the Tarantino's movies and. And Victoria is such an amazing casting um, like director that she was the one that like you know like suggested like she's the one who suggested Courtney she's the one that found the girlfriend Sasha she's the one that found the cousin JT she's the one that was like oh Mama is going to be great like she just helped put together um, such amazing talent for me and uh, and obviously they all just delivered I mean they were, they were just also great now see I got a peek that this movie was coming down the line because I had a a young mentor, young man I mentored when he was an actor way back in the day when he was trying to act on his sister's sister. His name was Datari Turner. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He came on my show, man. He told me about the movie. He said, Rashawn, when it comes out, it's going to mess you up. It's really good movie. And, and he says this is the type of movie he wants to be involved to tell a good story, great casting. And you guys did a wonderful job. And, and uh, can, can, more blessings. I, I, put, I put, you know, put I put this on my social media, put it in my newsletter. You know, just to just to carry the brand of excellence. And again, Thank I'm you. recommending everybody uh, to see this movie. I'm probably gonna see it again because I'm the type of person. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I I sit down, and tell you, you I, I watch it again. Come on, I watch it again. That's how good it is. I watch it again. <laughs> you know, I take it. I take it. it. Let's, take let's, it. let's go to the uh, to the other series. Is just you know, just got renewed. Let you know some checks are coming. Mm -hmm. It's always good to know checks are coming. That's a beautiful thing. Insecure. Man, you ain't never lied on that. Come on, that insecure. Come on, come on, brother. In the world, you know entertainment, man. You you can't buy a house wondering. I I, I just rent. I just rent. <laughs> I, I, I lease. I lease. Cause this might they say got they say we got ten episodes, but I'll wait. And buying the cash after That's the episodes real. have been finished. That's so real. Now the girls, man. They 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 mad at each other. They you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna talk to the show, but I'm not gonna give away the show. But th this has been a okay. dynamic season, man, for for the relationship of the of uh, Yvonne and Issa. Issa. So talk about the yeah. steps of oh you know because I got a feeling I know where it's going because I'm an old school writer. You know what I'm saying? But uh, so okay. so okay. when I saw her coming coming down that that line when the promos when she's on vacation, I go, I think I know where this is going. And uh, <laughs> but oh, okay, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested now. Yeah, okay, but you know, my, my, but but you know, it's about relationships. I, I can think about, I, I, and I think it you're is. very gifted at that. You know, and being able to write characters that are very human and normal and make decisions. But this is what I'm complimenting you on. 
um, Insecure is a very millennial type urban show. And then Uncork is a family drama. Language is not even close to the language in Insecure. Right. And you are naturally pulling that off. That's a gift, my friend. You know, I was a sitcom okay. writer. I was talented. But believe me, my skills didn't even come close to yours. I, I can write a script, but you got a gift, man. And I'm not going to sit on this no, show and you. act like me being a sitcom writer and you being a sitcom writer, that we were the same. You are, your skill set uh, <laughs> is a blessing. And I got, and I get to see it every Sunday night on HBO. And I got to get to see it probably going to be a third time on Uncorked on Netflix. Talk about the whole process of being a showrunner, your staff, because I, we all know you don't do it by yourself. And that amazing cast. No that you have with Insecure. Yeah, I mean, it really is a team effort. I mean, it really is a team effort. I mean, we've been, Issa and I have been super blessed to, you know, we've, like, mostly had the same writers from the from the first season. And so I think that brings, like, a level of, you know, people being super, like, familiar with how we want to tell the stories and, and the way to tell stories and what works and what doesn't work on our show, but still offering, you know, fresh new insight and fresh takes on it. Uh, and so I think that, and obviously we have an amazing cast between, you know, mm-hmm. Jay, Yvonne, Issa, of course, and, you know, Amanda Seals, you know, Natasha Rockwell. I mean, so many amazing, again, so much amazing talent that it just makes our job easier. I always say, like, when you first create a show, you know, the first, the hardest part of the beginning is, like, you sort of write the character as a suit. Right. And then, but it's kind of off the rack. And the longer the care, longer the actor sits in the character, you start tailoring the suit. Right. For the actor. So now the suit fits better because the, the actor's getting more comfortable with the character. You know, the writer's getting more comfortable with the character. You, then you get to get, get deeper into the character um, and, and, and continue like, like to nuance it. So it's been, honestly, it's been a blessing to be able to. You know, and, and you're absolutely right. That, those, so that first season of character development is, is, is rough because you don't really know the relationships. But when you're into this fourth, about to go into the fifth, you know, now you have the actors coming up to you and say something like that. I wouldn't say that. That's not my character. Yeah, I, and that's, and that's, that's real. <laughs> say, I, I, it is real. It is real. You, you know, know what I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, 100%. They bought into what you've created <laughs> and then all of a sudden they want to yeah. keep it on course because of the fact that that's why the character is so Absolutely. natural and that's why I buy into the anger that's happening between the two characters and uh, and, and it's going to build up to, a, a, I'm pretty sure, a tremendous season finale because of the fact that it's relatable. Uh, I, I, this is why I love it because it's on HBO. This is not on BET. It's nothing slam on BET. It's not on own. It's on HBO. We know that's a dominant right. white network that's being renewed. That means that the content that you're li- delivering is relatable to everybody. It's good quality content, and that's all you want as a, as a talent. You yep. want to, you want you want the, your your information to be welcomed by everybody, not to be pigeonholed. You know, and that's brilliant. Uh, I, I've been blessed this season to see uh, Cherish Today by Ava DuVernay. I've been blessed to see yeah. to see your movie Uncorked uh, on every Sunday night. I'm enjoying HBO's Insecure. Uh, my friend, uh, I just want to bring you on the show and say, hey, brother, you're younger than me, I, I, I which is great. That means that, uh, you know, the, the Spike Lees in the world are getting up there. And I feel that our future in the directing and the writing and the producing business and the film and television is going to be all right. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, well, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. My next guest is the owner of Poncho's Late Night Fry Trap. That's F-R-Y, Fry Trap is a pop-up kitchen based in the in the Atlanta metro area. Pancho features a menu based on loaded french fries. Right there, he got me right there, y'all. French fries. I am a french fry fool with his own Atlanta fare. Flair, that is, Atlanta flair. Pancho features a menu based on loaded french fries with an Atlanta flair. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the owner of Pancho's Late Night Fry Trap, Brandon Pancho Williams. Oh man, thank you, thank you, Colin, for the introduction. Son. <laughs> definitely, definitely enthused to be here and uh, have a way to make a conversation with you. I'm gonna tell you something, man. Uh, first of all, I want to know when you say, "What is French fries? Loaded French fries with an Atlanta flair? What What is that? Because I, I, I got that from your bio. So, if if anyone is familiar, poutine is a normal thing in Canada and and some parts of. America, but also loaded fries are very popular o- around the country, especially in LA. Right. So we know that it already exists, but we we bring it to the we bring it to the south and we put our own little flair on it. So, for example, instead of um instead of the flavors of LA, you might find with avocado, carne asada, and uh, and elote, we bring the fried chicken bites with buffalo with the buffalo sauce, ranch drizzle, and lemon pepper sprinkles. Um, as well as a, a few other flavors that we're noted for in the South and some not so much, but that are really catchy on your attention, like the seafood shawl, which is like a... Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. Don't don't go, don't jump too far. We're going to get to that. Right, I got right. the whole menu in front of me, Poncho. All right. We're going to talk about that menu, man. What you're not going to do is come on Money Making Conversation and, and, and leave me hungry because... I gotta have the I gotta have at least at least dream of the food that you have at your shop. Okay, is that cool? Let, explain to me because I've heard this a lot. What is a pop up kitchen? What is that? When you use that term pop up kitchen, what does that mean? So at, at the moment, well, from the beginning, we knew that we needed to approach it the the food entrepreneurship and the restaurant idea very slowly. So the pop up kitchen, we take this concept around the city and just essentially present it everywhere we go and spread it as many places as we can. So in that mobile form, we, we, we got the word out and was able to really test the concept. So, so, so basically you're tied to a food truck, right? No, we don't actually have a food truck. Okay. We go out and set up tents, bring out our equipment and okay. we bring out the food. So you really do set up a little, a little kitchen type layout where you, you on that spot, you have, there's no food truck. You set up a little kitchen where you serve food on the spot, and people can uh, can request a uh, uh, DoorDash and GrubHub and uh, Uber Eats. Well, we we do. That is the the true um, true essence of it. We do go out and set up the kitchen, but we aren't on DoorDash and Uber Eats and GrubHub yet. But we do offer delivery on our um, through our own operation, which is very small. Um, we just have some. So fry family that really believe in us and they do some deliveries for us when we get them. Cool. So let me, let me, let me, because I have a nephew, you know, he has a very popular barbecue place stand. You know, he does, you know, I, you know, the Hurricane Harvey came through town in Houston. It destroyed his business and I helped him rebuild it out. And now he has does business with the Houston Texans and a couple of the arenas. And now the pandemic has slowed his 
catering. And uh, of course, with the Texans and there may not be summer football with the NFL. We don't know preseason football, but he is surviving with the with the DoorDashes of the world and the Uber Eats and the Grubhubs order to go. How how is your business being affected by the pandemic? So, of course, with the shutdown and everything, we can't do pop-ups and we can't do large events. And it, it puts us back into the state and really not back into because we, we stayed in it, but into the state where we kind of have to, to pop up from home and do do things in, in the way that we're, we're done and, and in times where things were much harder, but right, well, maybe not much harder, but hard as well. So we actually we 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 went right back to the trap. That's the nature of the business, Rashawn, and I just have to be frank about that. Mm-hmm. And so far, so good. We're very grateful to still be busy. Um, we're, we're we're grateful to feed people and be able to help people as well. So I I I, I can't do anything but speak to how grateful we are about still being in business and you know still being active well you know that's why i brought you on the show uh, brandon the truth is what i want people to hear because a lot of people in your position a lot of people were caught off guard by the pandemic i was caught off guard you know i was i I had plans i was doing in april i had plans i was going to do in may i expect to be making money in april and may and the live events got canceled and all advertising and marketing basically ceased in the second quarter of this year so it really threw me for a spin with that being said what lessons have you learned from this experience as a businessman who's growing his business, growing his brand? Hey, man, that's a, I have a load of ass for that because it's so, it's so deep for me. Um, take your time. Take your time. So, so I'll just take it straight to the root. I knew I, I'm, I'm a serious entrepreneur in, in the sense of I failed at many businesses. Right. So, I knew that coming into this one, I needed to have everything squared away from the concept to the reasoning behind it. And the reason behind it, not only just being surviving for the day, but having a business that maybe be surviving any time. And that would just be something that we could grow in the sense of a, a legacy in Atlanta, but also for a legacy for ourselves. But uh, the lining in that is just something that lasts and that will be viable in any situation. So what the pandemic proved and showed me was, hey man, you 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 hit that on the mark because right now you could be in a whole lot of situations, but it's several things, and one of them is you're not worried, you're not panicked, and you see light, and you you again back to back to the gratitude. It's like I recognize every piece of it. So again, that that affirmed me in many ways that all right, you picked the right thing right. and. And it hit the mark in that regard along with some others. Now, uh, and that's just something I think that's important in business and when people approach businesses. Right. You might have a great idea, but will it last? Is it something that's not necessarily essential, but sustainable and something that you can maneuver and adjust if you need to? Also, is it something that you enjoy doing and that's fun and that you're going to get bored of or, you know, want to rip your hair out of it? So... That's something that was the thing that important to me, and that's what Punch O's is for. Well, you know, it's really hot that you're saying these things because, you know, we all want to be successful. Like you said, Brandon, you are a serial entrepreneur, which means that you've been out there looking for the right thing that can, you know, make your brand work, make money for you, make you make you happy. Because I always tell people all money don't make you happy. If you're making money unhappy, it's not long term money, whether you're employed or 
have a successful business. You have to be happy in the long run. Plus, you don't want to go down the line 10, 15 years doing something that was that was that you weren't happy about and realize you giving away your best years to make you happy. So I'm assuming that Pancho, you're a happy guy right now. I, I am extremely balanced <laughs> and happy. Yeah, yeah, for so many reasons. So yeah, I am. Good. So now, how did you get this idea? Now let's start. Let's. This is what the people want to know. How did you get this idea for late night fry trap punchos? All right. So let me start with punchos. Puncho is my nickname. That's my real nickname, and it's birth given, and it's a. Uh, I say a street nickname in Atlanta that's kind of popular. So there are a lot of everybody got a cousin named Puncho, and I'm the Puncho of my family. Right. Um, so that was that was automatic because the brand is based around Atlanta, and that's that's where we started. So late night was kind of fulfilling a missing need where we have late night food and late night eats, but not necessarily fun late night experiences. And that's what I wanted the the brand to kind of be based around, so that when we did the mobile version. We could take experiences along with the food or pair pair the food up with various experiences so that we know that we carry our audience's attention and create a culture around the brand. So late night, we want to tap into the late night audience. Everyone everyone knows Atlanta is a, a, a tarped up city, so that's kind of the audience that we, we shoot for and we attract others as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, fried stuff, of course, you know the fries. We love fries. And, oh, and we know that a lot of other people love fries too. On, and when we put our touch to it, Amen. We know we can attract the right people. And the trap, everyone also knows Atlanta is, is the trap. That means we hustle in any and every way. Uh, and in this particular form, Pancho is, is trapping fries. So oh. that's where the name that's where the name comes from. Cool. Now, I'm just tell you something, man. You know, McDonald's is my all-time favorite fry. I was let you know that mm-hmm. McDonald's. See, there's something about that fry that just that fry they got over there gets me. Now, five guys. Woo! Mm-hmm. They, I love their fries. I give me a medium, and they just pile all of it. So I get a little extra. I never get large fries because they're gonna give you a bunch of fries anyway. Anybody buying a large fry at uh, Five Guys ain't smart. Okay, just get your medium. Tell us how they got got it kicked off, and then we are gonna go through your whole menu because I printed out your whole menu because everything that was on it I wanted to eat, and I gotta find out where you at. Because this week you got to see me. I'm going to have my facial mask on so you won't recognize me. Because I'm going to come on and get my fries. Okay, let's talk about Uh, this. Okay, cool. Talk. All right. How does seafood fries kick it off? So, I'm a part-time foodie myself. And one day just, well, not even one day. Like, every day I scrolling around. I, I kept seeing these fries that had shrimp and crab and some type of sauce on them. But they were in California, like, too far away. So, when I got sick and tired of it, I finally like convinced my girlfriend and partner, co-founder Ebony, let's try these fries. I'm gonna try to make some. She was like, ah, okay, whatever. And I just put something together. Not necessarily put something together because I, I have a, a, a decent palate. Like I said, I'm not a chef, but my mother taught me well. So we got the wild shrimp. We got the wild crab. We uh we, we taught ourselves on using quality potatoes, a particular kind that makes it uh integrate with all the other ingredients so well. And it was a hit that first time. So right. after being a hit the first time, we got to that next weekend, it was like, let's try those people fries again. And it started to become a thing, like week by week. 
and we tried we uh the following week we tried the old Atlanta, which is the the Buffalo wet. We started to try different flavors and realized like, okay, we should invite some friends over and see if they like this. Right. Test it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it just started to build from that. We took it step by step. We 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 didn't end up doing like a group party or anything, but we did invite some family over to taste test mm-hmm. and it got to the point where it ate at me so much and I didn't want to see it done somewhere else and knowing that I had all the other branding elements and connected certain dots it was like just do it just go for it um, and, and and that essentially was it that's how the seafood fries started off uh, okay, before, now, now, Brandon, before we get into the menu, let's talk about your ordering, your ordering process. You have a uh, new online ordering. Ordering is now yeah. enabled for pickup and delivery. Just place your order and we'll prepare for your your organization will prepare as fast as you can. All orders are tied, uh, manually confirmed by us. We'll send you a text message as well. Right. Select cash as payment. You do not accept cash due to COVID-19 safety practices. Once your order is confirmed, send payment via cash app. Then you send your location where you at, right? Right. And when you arrive, DM or text and we'll bring it out to you. You can also track your delivery with the link in your email. So you really using technology to market your brand and to sell your business. Correct? Indeed. Indeed. It's very critical to have uh, the systems in place that help move the business. So although we have other ways that we're going to evolve into different and more technical forms, yes, sir. Yeah, right now we have to go ahead and go to online ordering, especially during the quarantine when everything starts to kind of move a bit, move a bit more and faster um, just so that we can keep a, keep track of our data, keep like I say, the deliveries and the pickups in order. And you had a place for a uh, dashboard to go from. Now, from. now how's, what is social media? How does social media play in your game? Oh, man. Social media. So <laughs> that that's the bane of our existence in a sense because as my background is also in branding and marketing um, from a freelance perspective. I, I did media production and I've assisted a lot of brands in just shaping their business. So... I was able and strategize as well. So I was able to do that for us too, in the sense of knowing how to set the logo, just know how to set up the logo, set up the colors, know how to take the pictures, understand a lot of things that go along with social media prior to launching ponchos, uh, is, is really, was really essential to, to launching. So using those tricks and knowing that the food, would be quality and hopefully it will go over well. Right. I just kind of created that formula and launched it. Um, I mean, it's so many elements to it or other elements to it, but taking that formula or having a formula and launching it, social media is just a, a tried and true way to market freely because once you just go viral in the smallest sense, it, it carries your business and kind of answers and poses questions that you can answer to to kind of move it forward. So I don't know if that for, for a lot of people who may not speak that language is understandable, but well, yeah, it really is. You know, you say, look, this is what you're saying. Let me, let me break it down because I'm a social media guru. You're talking about, mm-hmm. look, I got not only do I have great food, but my food look good. So you take right. nice pictures. 
of your food and you post it and say, you can get this right here. You might be, some people might be eating your food, but it's always edible looking photos and the engagement that happens, the likes of what you're seeking here. So people can share that or make comments. And when they make comments, I've eaten that. It's fantastic. That's what you're trying to do with social media. You're trying to get people to sell your brand. And the way you sell your brand is by you got to do your homework. If you're going to, if you, your presentation is really key in social media. Correct, Brandon? Correct. Absolutely correct. It was, uh, it was critical. And it's from the photos, it's from the videos, any type of content. And I chose a mix of three to focus on and to have as our, our role, so to speak, so that if you look at our timeline, you can kind of see a flow that everything isn't the same. We don't do one uh, one particular thing, but the way that it flows, it looks like we do. But um, you, you have to look at it to understand it. Oh, and yeah. that was critical because you want people to kind of look at your feed the same way they look at individual posts. Right. And it's all about impressions. Even even if you don't like it, even or even if they don't like it, even if they don't make a comment, you can see how many impressions a photo had, or you can well, and you'll know as well. Um, once they do begin to like it, what photos work and what type of content works and what doesn't work, and you got to take that information and, and and use it and alter alter your approach. And that that's pretty much how you know social media works for us. It's it's a way when you do it right to avoid spending too many digital marketing marketing dollars that would be necessary if you don't have those skills. So for us, it's like, luckily, not, not even luckily, but faithfully, like, executing that plan, we've been able to build our social media page, I mean, our Instagram page up to 6,000 or 6,500 followers now. And this is like a year and three months in. Mm-hmm. Not even that. So, uh, and yeah, we don't pay for followers. We don't pay for likes. We don't, we're not, I'm not paying for nothing really, uh, aside from just, uh, really just paying. Yeah, your, your, your work, your work, to taking the photos, your work, sitting down with your team, being creative, because people right. have to understand that you got to have a plan. Social media has changed the game because it allows small entrepreneurs and major entrepreneurs to go out there and engage with regular people, not only in the, in the market of Atlanta, but you actually marketing around the world. And around the country, and people, I know because I do that when I post. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a post some stuff for you, man. Because you know what happens is when I post, because I'm a foodie. I got seven hundred eighty-four thousand Facebook followers. Eighty-nine percent of my followers are female, and so I know all this. And so you know, seventy-seven percent of my audience is under the age of sixty-four. So all my people eat. They eat. Okay, <laughs> and so and so when I talk about your your product, that means that when I post something, I, I'm gonna post it on the Rishon, Rishon Eats, recommending this is a place to go. But before we end, end this interview, I got to tell people why I got excited about your business. You do a lot of other things on your menu, but I want to focus on those fries and the, the old Atlanta, the seafood shawty, the bluff. The Gang Gang, the 96 Olympics, the Magic City, the Buckhead, Mobster Lobster, and Shrimp. 
Come on now. Now, here's the deal. His pricing, I feel, is really good. Like the old Atlanta is $15. The seafood shawty, it that has shrimp and crab in it. Okay, now, shrimp and crab in there now. Wow. $18. Come on now. Wild caught shrimp. Okay, I apologize. Yeah. I, 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 I shorted <laughs> you on that, brother. The shrimp, the seafood shawty is only $18. The bluff is $15. The gang gang is $15. The 96 Olympics is $15. Magic City, $15. Now, the buckhead... And the mobster, lobster, and shrimp are the buckhead is $35. But check this out fried Cajun lobster bites, drizzled with the homemade lemon garlic. Woo, boy. Right there, man. Come on now. And then you yeah. got the mobster, lobster, and shrimp. That's broad lobster and shrimp, herb butter. Oh, on some French fries. That's only $28. What is your most popular? French fry order. Your top two. What are your top two? The top two would be first would be the bluff. That's the hot honey lemon pepper, and that goes over well. Mm-hmm. And the second, I would say the seafood shouting because the people who love it absolutely love it, <laughs> and they 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 rarely you know uh, veer from it. Now let me ask you this now. There, you, you, um, do you, you, do you cut your own fries? Do you make your fries, or you order your fries? Everything is hand cut, freshly seasoned, and by two people who, who love fries and do it like six days a week. So yeah, we, we, everything is handmade. So you order those big old bags of potatoes. That's right. What, what, did, right, what do they ship them in that? from? Where do you get them shipped in from? Oh well, no, it's not a matter of, of shipping. We're not doing any any uh procurement yet for, for those types of. Uh, Deliveries. We're okay. going to pick it up. Oh, you're oh, just yeah. going to pick it up. Okay, you do a lot of local. You just say, Rashawn, we're not there yet. We're going to get all our right. potatoes and then we prepare our orders. So I love this, man, because you know that you have a dream that you're dealing with and you're making it happen every day and every week. What's the future for Puncho Late Night Fry Trap? To be an institution of Atlanta. Uh, right now we're small but mighty. But right. yeah, we have the vision to be an institution of Atlanta. Um, and that's why you you just hear Atlanta and so much of the the brand is because that's what we're tied to. Not in the sense that that's where we want to stay and that's where we want to keep, but that's where we know this concept lives and um, where we want it to to bubble from. My man, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on my show because of the fact that you are an entrepreneur that's at the early stage of and you're planning. You got a clear understanding of how to market. You got your presentation. You get it. You know, a lot of people don't get it. They they think they can open the doors and the people just gonna come right on in. Or people just gonna find them where they where they where they put up their tent. That's not the truth. That's not true. There's preparation. You have to be able to deal with the bad days because there's gonna be a lot of great days. But those bad days, I call them turn back days. Those are days that can make you go, man, I'm out of this. This ain't for me. And you know that you've survived those. And this is one of the big turnback days that's happening right now in everybody's life. Keep winning that, Poncho. And I'm glad you came on Money Making Conversations, man. No, thank you. I appreciate you recognizing that and recognizing us. Um, I, I can't wait to, to the future. I can come back and you know give you an update on us doing even better. 
Well, I'm going to put you on Rushon Eats, and I'm going to give you an update right now. You're going to be on Rushon Eats. <laughs> All my followers on my Facebook page, 784,000. I got 36,000 on my Instagram account. And we just going if you, to, if, you, if you're not busy, you're about to get busy, young brother. You're about to get busy. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to figure out how to get you small, too. So just let me know. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you coming on Money Making Conversation. You done your your you done your duty, man. Man, thank you for having the platform. And hey to all y'all from all across the world. I appreciate him, Rashawn, and you as well. Um follow us on Instagram at the Fry Trap. Awesome. Uh, if you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. My next guest, she's here. She's based in Atlanta. She's an award-winning chef. TV personality, owner slash chef of Twisted Soul Cookhouse and Pours, a different kind of chick, which is a new chicken pop-up concept in chicken. I say chicken, 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 pop-up concept in the letter. She's been featured on the Food Network, Travel Channel, the New York Times, Huffington Post, and BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed, you know, we got all the little fast desserts for about 30 seconds. You can cook up the world. Please welcome to uh, Money Making Conversation, Chef Deborah Ventrice. Uh, thank you so much for that introduction. That was wonderful. Well, first of all, I, I didn't make anything up. You know, and that's the beauty of having a career and being recognized for your talents. How do you feel about it and where you at right now? We're going to get to the restaurants and the pop-ups. And this, when I bring people on Money Making Conversation, it's always a journey because a lot of times when you come on my show, we're just talking about the end results. And we all know that even when we were talking about the end results, there's still uh, goals in place to make that even bigger. But but as you speak of being featured on in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, which are big digital and print uh, magazines and online uh, concepts and BuzzFeed, which is also video driven and Travel Channel, which we know that's TV. We know the Food Network's TV. How does that do? What does that do for your brand and how has it allowed your brand to be uh, recognized throughout the world? Um, I mean, it's, it's um, immeasurable, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the positive impact that it's had on the brand. Um, you know, it's, you know, was it a textbook, a textbook uh, way to have done this? Um, some things just kind of fell in the right places at the right time. Um, and I took advantage of all the opportunities that were presented to me, um, seeing the big picture of, of this marketing that, you know, I was getting and, you know, being able to develop, um, you know, a brand that was rec recognizable worldwide. And that's really important. I like what you said. You say, you know, sometimes you just got to be ready to pivot when an opportunity presents itself because we can't plan somebody calling you say will you make an appearance on the food network and you can't sometimes say i don't know let me check my calendar you have to say yes <laughs> that's it that's it yeah <laughs> and because these appearances uh, somebody's you know if they call you somebody's ready to say yes if you say let me let me check or they say uh that's well, right i don't know well, this what what do you want me to do? Even the, even the tone you may ask the questions could could lose you the opportunity to make an appearance on the network, which you know is what you use in your resumes to be able to get other opportunities. It really becomes a yeah. blessing. You gotta you gotta not look at it as a as a as a difficult moment or a conflicting moment. You have to say, how can I do it and make it happen? That's really what this is all about, right? That is really exactly what it is. It's like I I've always gone with the I'm going to say yes. And I will figure out how I'm going to do it later. <laughs> but, you know, 
the opportunity when it's there, you have to grab it because it's, as you just said, you know, they're going to keep going. Right. Um, and somebody else will grab at that opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I always look to see, okay, what, how does this help me build my brand? What, what positive impact is it going to have on it? And I'm going to say yes. Yeah. You know, and we'll figure out the details of it later. Yeah, I want people to hear that because some things are not always, uh, you know, well, let me plan it out a month in advance. You know, well, when you get, yeah. reach a certain level of uh, notoriety, yes, you can think about it. Let me check my calendar. But when you're on the, the hustle of getting your brand recognized, getting your brand word of mouth, creating word of mouth within the industry, you got to ride with the opportunity that's given to you. And sometimes it might not be what you want to do, but you make it work for what you want, what you need it to do. And that is positive exposure for your brand. Now, here's something interesting. When I was going through your bio, it said prior to embarking on her culinary career, more than 20 years ago, Miss Ventrice was a uh, flight attendant for American Airlines. And the reason I wanted to bring that up because, you know, you're a chef and I've traveled a lot, which allows me to eat a lot of good food and different cultures and things like that. It said throughout your destination was throughout Europe, Latin America, the Middle East and Southeast Asia. What effect did all this travel have on your cooking style or your culinary style today? Um, it is, you know, actually what makes my my cuisine a little bit different. Um, I tell people my cuisine is telling a story and it's my story. Right. Um, and so, you know, you need to be able, you know, to, you know, think outside of the box. I did not want to be like everybody else. Um and so I combined all of those travels um, and I put them together to, you know, come up with a cuisine that I call globally inspired um, soul food. Um, so, you know, I looked at different cultures and the foods that were considered, you know, regular or comfort food um, of those cultures and brought it back and kind of, you know, put it with my um African-American culture of soul food and, mm-hmm. you know, that's the dishes that I come up with. A combination of all those travels and of my upbringing. Well, it's really funny because I'm, I'm going to get to your definition of soul food because I, I, I want to ask mm-hmm. you that, but I was reading your bio say in Russia, French fries are more coveted mm-hmm. than caviar. See, I'm a French fry man. I love mm-hmm. this French mm-hmm. fry. So, so it's basically, you go to France, they look at you and talk about French fries they look at you like, huh? You go to Russia, you talk about French fries, they go, where? And it allows for it allows for you to see those different cultures and how they react, and then you say soul food. I have to ask you, Chef Chef Deborah, what is soul food? Um, You know, I think it means different things to different people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it is food that comes from the soul, and when I say that, you know, I feel like it's the food that is cooked from love. Right. Um, The food that evokes memories. Um, the food that, you know, reminds us of where we came from, um, you know, and those are the foods that touch our heart. They touch our soul. So that is what soul food is. Okay. So now when I look at the soul food, cause it's very popular, you know, when you get to, uh, mm-hmm. when you get to, um, certain places, they're called the Southern delicacies. Mm-hmm. 
And then you get to mm-hmm. certain ways they call it soul food, uh, especially mm-hmm. in, in the African American community. When I look at yams and yams at a, at a on a, a southern restaurant, it's the same th- type of yams I have at a soul food restaurant. Or sometimes the greens are different. You know, you put a little ham or ham hocks in your collard greens to give it that flavor. Some people now we have vegans; they don't want meat, and so they have the red beans without the sausage. And so there's so many different mm-hmm. people, so many mm-hmm. different palates that we are playing and we're dancing around nowadays how do you find a menu that are you trying to find a menu that works for the masses or trying to find a menu that will draw the masses to your your place of business how does that menu development work um it's it's a menu that um is interesting Mm -hmm. um i i don't want to do what everybody else is doing i don't want you to experience you know something I want you to have the experience with me that you're not going to find That's true. somewhere else. That's true. Okay. And so even though we might be saying the same is, thing, right? Even though we might be doing the same yeah. chicken, your exactly. chicken experience <laughs> is different. And you see that with hamburgers. Yeah. You know, you have five guys, yeah. Fud Ruckers, McDonald's, Wendy's. Everyone is trying to draw based on the experience that you would get at their establishment. And that's what you're doing at your exactly. pl- two places of business. Continue. Exactly. So, you know, even if we look at the the traditional African-American um, soul food, by definition, going from region to region, it's different, you know. So it's, it's more combined, you know, with, with food than, you know, just a recipe. You know, it's a whole story behind it. And so it's... In developing my menu, I'm trying to tell stories. You know, I want you to ask me, um, how did I come up with this dish? Um, I want to listen to you tell me stories, you know, about what is comforting to you. What is soul food to you? Um, And I want to go and I want to interpret it in my way. Right. Um, And I think that's what sets me apart from other restaurateurs, which is important, you know, to find my own little niche, mm-hmm. you know, and my own brand and establish it. You know, so those are the, that's the process that I go through when I'm trying to develop a menu. You know, I want it to be interesting. I want it to be diverse. Um, and I want it to have a story behind it that touches my heart. Awesome. Here's a question before we go to the next break, because in the next break, I want to talk about your two restaurants, especially the uh, pop-up restaurant, chicken restaurant that you have in Atlanta that launched this mm-hmm. month. Um, what did your skill, did you go to schools to, to develop your skills? Was it just natural? Talk about the, the training that's tied to your skills as a chef. Um, it's a combination. You know, I grew up um, with a family of great cooks. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. Um And then I had a a father and grandfather that were, you know, big barbecue kings. So I grew up (laughs) learning how to smoke and barbecue. What about the Midwest? What about the Midwest? What about? (laughs) Um, Kansas City, oh, Missouri. Oh, yes. I thought you were going to say Kansas City. That's that's barbecue yeah. town right there. Woo. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it's like I, every chance I can, I'm barbecuing something up, too, putting mm-hmm. it on the menu. Um, and then I did go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that traveling. So at one point, I was married to a basketball player who mm-hmm. played overseas. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to live in that culture and absorb it and go into people's homes, not just restaurants. Right. So it's a different experience. You know, so all of that 
combined is the training that I have that's gotten me to the place that I am today. It's created your voice for the food that you make. On the phone, I have a chef, Deborah Van Treese. Uh, she is um, a chef extraordinaire, traveled the world, picked up her talents, going into homes, eating in restaurants, uh, places like uh, Middle East, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, Latin America, Europe. But she's on the show to talk about, she's based in Atlanta, and she's on the show to talk about a couple of restaurants. One's a pop-up, one's an established place called Twisted Soul Cookhouse and Pours. I'm assuming Pours means liquor or Pours means something else there, Chef. Pours means liquor. Okay, right cool. assumption. Okay, right good. assumption. Good. Let's talk about that first. Let's talk. Twisted this soul cookhouse cookhouse that sounds like barbecue that sounds like some some heat being generated in this building cookhouse <laughs> and pours talk about that that, that that place of business uh well it's it's um a warm gathering spot um, warm gathering spot okay <laughs> a warm gathering spot mm-hmm. um uh you know it's a great location in west midtown here in atlanta mm-hmm. um you know, I have a very diverse clientele, very diverse group of, of cooks and professionals working. Um, we're very big on customer service, and we um, we love to serve you good food. Um, you know, we use sustainable products. We um, utilize the local farmers um, as much as we possibly can in our cooking. Our mm. menu changes seasonally. Um, you know, we just we have a good time with what we do. Uh, we've been there, I think we're in our fourth year of business. Congratulations. Um, you know, thank you. Thank you. Things are going good. Um, you know, and, and, you know, now we're finding, you know, this, this new world that we're trying to navigate, you know, but we talk about that part later. <laughs> right. We well, you know, the thing about it, let's talk about the new world a little bit. I don't, you know, because I have a nephew, he has a, um, he has a, like a, a roadside stand type restaurant on the, in Houston, Texas. And he was really mm-hmm. ahead of the game with DoorDash and uh, uh, Uber Eats. And uh, I think um, one more out there. I apologize for not being able to say it. But and it really so his business really was not affected by the pandemic. And so because of the fact mm-hmm. that he'd already focused that. And then he told me that I was talking to him the other day and he was saying that a lot of businesses are trying to get into that. The, the, the door dashes and the Uber Eats of the world and they can't Grubhub. That's the other one. Grubhub. Because of the fact yeah. that it's starting to get backlogged and they can't handle the uh, amount of applications that are being made. And then people don't know how the process works and can cannot. You know, because uh, uh, there are fees tied to everything that you do. These are none of these services are free. Yeah. And so yeah. that's one of the things that not only African-American business, but business in general have learned that they have to change their whole platform instead of being just a standalone building that you come in and you process mm-hmm. your food while you eat. Did that, did that affect your, uh, your, your cookout, the cookhouse and, and pours facility? Major. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it literally, you know, where we saw a maybe 60% drop in mm-hmm. sales mm-hmm. immediately, mm-hmm. um, and quickly made the decision, you know, we needed to close the doors and, and rethink this. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't utilizing any of the delivery services, right? You know, so it wasn't as if we could just, you know, switch over. Right. Um, to that. And then, to be quite honest, the fees that they were charging were just ridiculous. Right. Um, it wasn't, would not have been so bad if we, you know, were balancing that 
you know, prior with the restaurant actual in-house covers and then, you know, your few takeout orders here and there. Um, but we were just really in-house, you know, and never, ever had a need um, to utilize the service because most of the people coming to Twist the Soul are coming there for that warm, fuzzy environment. They're coming to have a good time at a gathering spot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um Real quickly, uh, we did do the scramble initially to, you know, try to get uh, the Grubhub, the Uber Eats, you know, but with all that was going on, we also felt like we had to lower our pricing structure right. mm-hmm. and to lower the pricing structure and then give possibly 30% of it away mm-hmm. to a service, you know, which now was going to be handling the predominant amount of your business. Um, it just was not a plan that was going to work for us. Mm-hmm. You know, so initially, um, we flipped to a concept of doing pre-prepared meals, uh, for people to take away and having our, um, service staff turn them into delivery people. Um, it was actually a little bit more efficient because at the point when all this was happening, you know, the big companies did get flooded and, you know, they were taking two hours and three hours to get people food. Um, you know, so that worked for us as a temporary um, solution was to just have our, our own people doing mm-hmm. um, our delivery. Mm-hmm. But on a broad scale, that's not what we do. You know, <laughs> so right, right. Um, mm-hmm. we knew really, you know, this is not something that's going to sustain us for very long. Um, so we had to come up with a better solution than that. And that better solution is what? The better solution was um, or is the pop-up concept. See, I transition. Um, I just transition you to a chef. That's all. Just just slide you over to yeah. the to the better solution yeah. is the pop-up chick yeah. place. The Different better, kind of a chick. The better solution. Mm-hmm. Different kind um, of chicken. It was something that I had been thinking about for years. Um, you know, so the concept was already there. It was very clear in my head. Um, and it was something I foresaw, you know, us doing in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, you know, future was here, you know, it was, right. okay, you, you've got to make some changes. Um, you have to be able to sustain yourself to move forward to ever do Twisted Soul, you know, or keep Twisted Soul alive. You've got to right now do something that's going to sustain you. Right. Um, and the concept of a different kind of chick, um, you know, was what we decided to put in effect immediately. Um, you know, it was more conducive or is more conducive, um, for carry out. It's more conducive for delivery. Um, the price point could be lower because now we're, we're trying to go with volume. Um, and mm-hmm. the most important thing about it was, you know, we were doing chicken that was, you know, free range, you know, certified organic food, Mm -hmm. again, still with our farm to table vegetables, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's kind of a wave that was starting to happen in the food industry. Anyway, we just jumped on it real quick. Which Um, is very smart, which is very smart. Yeah. And that's all, that's all I was just saying Um, about my nephew. You know, he had been doing it prior to the, cause you have to make an adjustment mm -hmm. in your menu prices when you bring on these grub hubs and these door dashes and these Uber eats. Yeah. And because he had already been doing it and I made the adjustment in the pricing for his customers I had already been in place then when it nobody was stunned by it because he didn't have to make the switch but like you said new customers like you they go to those services go wow really 
I got to pay this? Well, how am I going to charge for this? And so this concept that you have now, a different kind of chick, something you had in the back of your mind that's now been Mm -hmm. moved to the front of your mind and it it is proven to be the profitable way for you to make business in this this, uh, new world that we live in today, correct? Yes, exactly. Well, exactly. let's talk about that business. Come on, let's talk about. It. Let's let's get fired up here because uh, I don't want, you know I don't want this to become a down and you know I'm <laughs> I'm trying to make it, Rashawn. I'm I'm trying to get there. What exactly is a pop up though? You know we hear that term a lot. What is a pop up? Uh, a pop up is is generally something that is you know coming up temporarily. It's mm-hmm. something you're doing for that moment. So mm-hmm. it's like our pop up is just going to be a long term one. You know. Um, and what the plan is, is once things stabilize and we can actually, you know, get back to the restaurant as we knew them, which is going to be a while, mm-hmm. um, we'll be able to continue with Twisted Soul Cookhouse in that location that we're in presently and then transition out a different kind of chick and put it permanently in another location. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk about um, so this that, menu. Let's talk a about, long-term goal. Absolutely. This, let's talk about know? this menu because the menu involves fried chicken. And I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm living in Atlanta. Yeah. But I am a fried chicken Food. I love me some good fried mm-hmm. chicken. And so the create you have a creative menu featuring uh four different types of uh chicken dishes. Let's talk about those chicken dishes. This is available at okay. the at a different kind of chick. It's a pop-up that's in temporary locations around the city of Atlanta. How do you notify people, Chef? Uh actually social media. Okay. Social media has been incredible. And um, you know, we sent out a press release and the press jumped on it quickly. Um We've had several articles written already, you know, and, and you're on my not, show. This is great too. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> like, yeah, this is this is perfect. This mm-hmm. is perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, it was helpful to do such a an extreme pivot and do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's something that people are paying attention to because we're all trying to figure out how to maneuver. Um, you know, so this is you know one of the ways that you can possibly re- uh, maneuver. Um, so we've got the four types of main entree chicken. Um, fried chicken uh, was a staple. It's actually the same dish that we have on our original Twisted Soul um, cookhouse menu, um, except for now you get one extra piece of chicken, and it's a little bit less expensive. Um, it, it comes with the you know, incredible sides that you get to choose. Wait a um, okay, let's talk about those sides, because those sides are key sides. to a good meal. Talk about those sides now. Okay. Let's not let's, okay, not, so let's not pass the chicken is the is the is the bringer to the table, but it's the sides that make you sit there and savor the moment. Come on now. Exactly, exactly. So your chicken is your big bird, and with your big birds, you get two sides. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So you have a choice of a garlic mashed potato. Mm. Um. You have braised greens. We have macaroni and cheese. Uh, we have a brown rice pilaf, so we have a healthier option. And then we have sauteed farm vegetables, 
which changed weekly depending on what we what's available through our local farmers. You know, brown um, rice. I I become I become such a big fan of brown rice now. You know, I, I oh you know, really? I, I'm, I'm a white rice guy. I grew up, you know, mm-hmm, before uh-huh. white rice all on the thing on my table. So I've resisted the whole you know uh, brown rice world. And now when you say brown rice pilaf, I have to try that mm-hmm. because I love pilaf rice. Period. And when you say brown rice, that really that really piques my interest on exactly. Exactly what that is, is the taste of that because that sounds pretty good sounds good and original that's the whole portion you was talking about your whole brand being very creative and coming up with creative menus because of the fact that you know we all like say everybody's selling chicken out there what makes your chicken mm-hmm. different what makes exactly. your service different but and i'm assuming that service plays a big role in your brand anyway correct definitely plays a big role um, and then sourcing where we're getting our food from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are paying attention to the trends, um, you know, in our customers that they want to know where their food is sourced from. They want to know that their vegetables are fresh, right. you know, that I handpicked the chicken that I would use. Mm-hmm. They want to know those things. And those are the things that we're playing upon. Um, you know, and I think those are the things that makes this this uh, pop up work. Well, first of all, tell us how we can go to your social media. So that's how we can find out about the pop up. I definitely want you to send a banner to me so I can post it on my social media. I really want to support businesses. I want to give it's free. It's an avenue that I've created to be able to bring exposure to these to any to the small businesses. You know, they they can say the state's reopening, but it's not reopening one hundred percent, especially when it comes to this social distancing. So we have to be smart. So give us some uh ways that we can reach out and follow you so we can you know make our way to one of these pop-ups uh definitely um our website twisted soul cookhouse and tours.com uh, we're on instagram at twisted soul cookhouse or follow me on instagram at deborah at chef deborah van tree um well, and we're always posted facebook you know you name it social media we're on there well, I'll tell you something. Uh, it's fantastic to hear from you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. But more importantly, uh, we will support you through our social media, through our newsletters, because as a family is how we're going to w- get through this. As a family is how we're going to win this. We know how this pandemic is over- overtly affecting, uh, overly affecting, I should say, uh, African-Americans in our communities around the world, especially in this country. More importantly, thank you for coming on my show, Chef Deborah Van Tries. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's really important that we do support each other. And I so, so appreciate being able to speak to your audience today. Oh, they're going to respond. Believe me, my uh, every time I post about I'm a foodie. Go to my social media at Rashawn McDonald on my Facebook page. You'll see when I talk about food, my fans love me. And so uh, this is a restaurant <laughs> we're going to support. I'm going to ask for it. some photos so we can put, feature in Rashawn Eats. And so we can build this brand out so you can win big, so you can win big time. Is that cool? Thank you so much. I will take that. Awesome. Awesome. If you want to hear more interviews of Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.